Welcome to another episode of A Pint with Shawnee B. Thank you all so much for your comments uh, to last week's show with Mary Spillane. Probably the most comments and uh, emails I've received for any of the shows to date. I know Mary would be very happy with that. Uh, we have an equally funny guest this week, a great storyteller, John Devlin from my hometown in Dublin. John is a Woody Allen type character, a man who's equal parts serious and funny but he has a message and he's got a lot of wisdom and he's lived a really unique life. Uh, you're going to enjoy this one. There's lots of laughter and hilarity in it. So without further ado, I give you my old friend, John Devlin. Thank you very much, Sean. Great to be here. Great to see you. Thanks, buddy. Um, you know, I like to start these things with just giving a bit of background on formate, formative years and how you ended up in the beautiful world of advertising and media? Well, I, I was very lucky. I didn't get into UCD, University College Dublin, to do what I wanted to do, which was uh, social science. So um, on, uh, I bumped into a friend of mine who said he was going to start doing an advertising course, and not only were the qualifications a little bit lower, but they actually paid you to do it. It was part of a European community initiative where... Was that Rap Mines? That was Rap Mines, okay. College of Commerce. I was in there as well. Yes. So... I just switched tack to totally diverse subjects from, um, if you like, social sciences to, to marketing. So I got in on that course and uh, I never looked back. It was a fantastic course. We had a fantastic uh, mentor, Michael Hayes. I remember Michael, yeah. Um, or IP. I, yes, or IP. I, I did the certificate in advertising, then the diploma in advertising, and then went on to study marketing where I got a graduateship about six years later. So that's how I started. I was lucky enough when I tried to get into advertising proper as a job, I couldn't get in. Um, it was in the recession in the early 80s. So I was fortunate enough to get a job in a chain of shops called Dunn Stores, which I don't know what the equivalent in the States was, but I was working... Well, not, not far off Walmart or Target or something like yes, that. Yes, yeah. exactly. So it was that type Big, of supermarket. Yeah. Uh, I was junior, junior trainee manager. And, uh, <laughs> what did that mean? <laughs> it meant uh, chasing out store... Uh, Thieves. Chasing out thieves and uh, making sure that the checkouts, which uh, ladies arrived on time and things like that. But it was a great experience to see how people shopped. Uh, I, Minimum wage? It, now, I was management, Sean, so it was, actually, <laughs> it was actually even lower than minimum wage. At least the girls operating the till were in uh, unionised and were mobilised workers. But the trainee manager could be asked to do anything from uh, unblocking the loose to... <laughs> Taking in, taking in the deliveries, uh, whereas the girls until knew exactly where they stood and what their job was. But it was a great experience. And uh, while I was working there, I was applying to advertising agencies, and I was lucky to get a break in a Dublin outfit called O'Connor O'Sullivan. I owe them a great gratitude, uh, gratitude, and that's where I started. Okay, and then I mean, I I started working with you probably around. 1991 or so in CDP you'd been you'd been media director I think of Peter Owens a lot of the big agencies and you you left advertising if I'm right and went into media then did you into into there was an opportunity uh, one of the uh, big outdoor companies was setting up a, a, an outdoor advertising billboard buying specialist agency and they wanted someone to set it up and I headed it up and that was basically liaising with advertising agencies and liaising with the advertising contractors yeah. But uh, I was there for about six years and then I got uh, redundancy, which right. uh, hit me like I was 40 years old and I was totally shocked when I got that. 
I took legal advice. I really didn't want to go. And then I was going for a walk down in our local beach, Sandy Man Strand. And I bumped into a friend of mine, really an acquaintance at the time. And she said, that's great news. You got redundancy. Why don't you just go and leave the country? And I, I said, I haven't really, apart from London, I've never really left it. And she said, well, that was her advice. So, uh, so what I, year was this? 2002. Okay. Um, so I decided then to uh, leave the country. So I thought I'd be gone for three months. That was the plan, to get my head together and come back after three months. So uh, I went for three months and stayed out for three years. Came back three years later. <laughs> and you, you, you came over to see me when I was in Australia. That's right. Uh, it, it was great to see you then. Uh, that, that was in Sydney. Yeah. And there was a very funny story... Uh, which I, you might not want to repeat, but I, I, I found it hilarious when you were in Australia on that world tour and you decided you were going to take up scuba diving. Well, listen, it was a, an opportunity I couldn't miss. There was tours out to the Barrier Reef and I, you, you paid your $50 and you, you got a few, um, a, a couple of sandwiches and a cup of tea. And then I didn't know this, but uh, when we arrived at the reef, the, 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 the captain says, now um, we have scuba equipment here. Uh, would anyone like to go scuba diving? You know, so I'd never been scuba diving in my life. So my hand shot up, and uh, he asked me, um, "You know, do I have experience?" Of course, I said yes. And uh, he gave, <laughs> you, you could barely swim, right? Yeah, well, well correct. He, so he gave me he gave me the wetsuit, and uh, never having put on a wetsuit before, I had the, the zip up the front, and I thought the other twenty two nineteen other divers had their theirs back to front, but it was only when the uh, it's the diving captain, the diving instructor said, uh, are you sure you've dived before your, your suit is on backwards? <laughs> so what happened was there's a, a, a strict rule that you're not to feed the fish <laughs> when you get into uh, in the barrier reef. And I thought, well, if I, I couldn't see any fish from the boat, I thought, well, I might bring some of the sandwiches that were un, uneaten on the deck. I'll bring them down with me just to feed, to see, attract a fish or two. Well, so I, I put them in luckily I, I zipped up my suit the wrong way because I put I zipped down the front the back of my jacket put in the sandwiches and zipped it back up again and jumped into the sea jumped into the water and then we were given a diving belt and you were told to adjust our pressure and I couldn't I couldn't sink so then uh, what happened was the dive instructor was in the water saw that I kept him bobbing to the top made some alterations to my belt and then I shot down to the bottom and I couldn't get back up again <laughs> what happened to the sandwiches? Well, hold on. I was standing at the bottom and I was leaning against the rock looking around and I just thought this would be an ideal to see those. I couldn't see any fish. So I opened the front of my jacket and of course at this stage the, the, the sandwiches all dissolved into kind of dust and ham. But suddenly a rake of parrotfish shot out from nowhere and started just a feeding frenzy on my chest. <laughs> so there's plumes of... Uh, dusty bread and fish and then people who had cameras were saying look at that guy and they were taking pictures of me underwater they, they had the sense of bringing cameras so um, after that then uh, the, the, the dive instructor saw that I couldn't get back up again so he swam down put me back up and told me to get back on deck <laughs> Oh man, and I know you have a. I mean, I know you have a whole heap of those stories. Some of them uh, not even tellable on on uh, a show like this. Um, what other countries did you go to, and what did you like when you were on your world tour, and what sort of insight did you get? I was very lucky. I spent a year and a half in in Asia, and then a year and a half in Central South America. You know, when you go to places like India or Tibet, China, or whatever, you know, as 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 a you know, middle class European, the place just bro, you know, blows you over. 
I did it in, in, in very much you know, budget hotels and student accommodation and, that, and they were always in the wrong end of town and that meant you saw more of life and I, I, it was unbelievable what, what, what always kind of surprised me even in these rundown places even in what, what I would call third world places how the kids were always just happy and smiley you know and um, you, you know I've been to the States and I've been, been obviously to, to Australia and you know, the kids seem less content and uh, now with globalisation we're exporting our misery to these people quite fast but certainly when you're in places like Cuba and who allegedly is, you know, have very little and you see the kids playing cricket or baseball and you kind of say to yourself, you know, these kids are a lot, a lot happier than the ones I would see playing football on the street back, back, back at home. You know? Well, one of the things I learned, I mean, I spent, you know, eight to ten years out, out there as well. I mean, you just, you're a, you're a dick if you complain about life. Yes. Because we yeah. have been so fortunate and blessed to be born in a first world country yes. in terms of the basics you know food uh, shelter clothing the contrast then is when you go to you know new york and everyone's seeing a therapist and it's all oh woe is me and you know all the and as you say there there are people living beside a, a, a train track you know playing in puddles in india and places and you just and they, they've got big smiles on their face and i don't know what even even saying that possibly sounds a bit elitist, but you know, from my point of view, I just got this kind of okay, no more whining about uh, stuff that I probably used to whine about a lot more than I probably do today. When you got back, what? How was it coming home after three years away? I, I got a bit mixed up in my travels. I, I, I met up with this um, lecturer. She was a, in. Um, in Paraguay, and uh, even she was, she was an English lecturer, and but uh, she was from Brazil, and she, um, I had stayed in Paraguay for a while, and she invited me back to her hometown. We travelled up. Um, was we, it a remote part of Brazil? It was well. It certainly it, it was a place called Maceió, which is in the northeast Brazil near Recife. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I'd known this girl for quite a while, and then we got to the bus depot. Uh, I said, you know, where where do you live from here? Are we going to get to your house? And uh, she was a professor of English, and she said, Oh, uh, no problem. We we'll just wait. My husband is going to collect us. You know? <laughs> and this is the first time she mentioned husband to me. And now, were I, you in a ro- romantic relationship? Yes. And, uh, <laughs> And I just, my, I just had a, you know, I wasn't sticking around for that, you know, because, um, so I said I had to go to the loo and I just, I don't, didn't have too much Portuguese, but I got the first taxi and I, I just asked uh, Central Porpovor, you know, uh, Rapido, and uh, I, I, I took off, left her standing there, but uh, I... I, I don't know what the plan was. Maybe she had fallen out with her husband, but I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't going to be in the middle of it. So I was in Maceo. I was just a little bit concerned about the whole thing, and uh, I was I happened to be reading uh, one of James Joyce's short story books uh, called Dubliners. Uh, I was in a cafe in, in the afternoon the next day, and a girl came up to me. She's on the name Joyce, and she said, "Oh, she spoke a little English." And I said, she said "Her friend was Joyce," and I said, "Okay." And I, I explained how uh, I explained that this place isn't even on the guidebooks, and we got talking, and then I was introduced to Joyce, and suddenly, anyway, a bit of a relationship happened with me and the girl called Joyce, and uh, we have since got married. So yeah. And, and, yeah, and that was uh, ten years ago. So that so was, you were quite the stud on your travels. I mean, because no. you, you would never have been levelled that at you in, in all the years I knew you in Dublin. 
Well, I mean, uh, that's going from one to another in the space of a few hours. Uh, yeah. No, well, hold on a second. Uh, the relationship with Joyce took a while to unwind. No, I, but did I, you find? I mean, I'm, I'm joking, of course. Did you find that the Irish mentality, sense of humour, accent? Uh, it plays a lot better than it does in Tomangos or one of the nightclubs here, really, where they all give you the eye roll. <laughs> Do you find that? Yeah, well, look, I, it, 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 when certainly if, when, I, when I was in northeast Brazil, I was the novelty. Yeah. Uh, when I go to a Dublin nightclub, I'm not a novelty, <laughs> I, I'm an oddity. <laughs> it, it, look, it was great. And it, it, again, like the redundancy, a bad thing happened, and it turned out that I went traveling, that was a good thing. Then the, the, the relationship I had with this professor from Paraguay, bad thing happened at the end, and it turns out a good thing happened, yeah. you know. So so did you stay with Joyce in I Brazil? I did. Right? I stayed there. Uh, meet the parents and all meet that. Meet the parents. No husband. Uh, there was no, correct, there was no, <laughs> no surprises. We went back. Uh, she, lived, she lived in a remote part outside the city with kind of a, a, a compacted mud floor and chickens wow. cooking around the kitchen and all the rest, and... Uh, uh, I was given the only cup that had a handle um, and I sat down and they were drinking out of a jam jar looking at me and uh, I said to my wife I'd, I'd like to get a present for your family you know what would they like and of course in a lot of these countries it's just another television and I said <laughs> I wasn't thinking that I was thinking maybe of a fridge or something like that so yeah. I got them a TV and a fridge but <laughs> being the big spender that I was and then of course uh, it was a silly thing to buy them the fridge because the uh, electricity was intermittent so they were putting meat in the fridge that kept them going on and off <laughs> and of course any uh, fridges in hot countries consume yeah. electricity by yeah. the bucket so yeah. uh, but that was it so and did you so uh, how did the relationship develop did you come home and, and correspond or did she come with you no what, what happened was um well, well, I was away in Maceo, my, my, my older brother was getting married and he sent me an invitation and just kind of, he said, you know, he said, listen, we're getting married in six months time. You're, we'd love to have you there and all the rest. I, my, I asked Joyce, would you, should I go? And she was thrilled, you know, because uh, she kept on saying to her mum, she's never been to Iceland. And, uh, she thought, <laughs> she was disappointed when I told her it was Ireland because she'd done some research about Iceland. <laughs> So in Brazil, where she lives, there's no such thing as wind or or, um, or storms of any description. It's just it's just tropical. Very, it's just very tropical all mm. the time. And uh, there was a full. Uh, we had a, a, our own hurricane at the time when she arrived over, and uh, she was shivering for the first time. She didn't understand. She thought she had a disease because in Brazil there's no need to shiver. She didn't know wow. anything. Yeah. So. That that was her first intro into Dublin. So and you have two children now, right? I have two, two children, Darla, uh, who's ten now, and uh, Patrick, uh, who's nine. What struck me about when you took your uh, three years out was that the technology boom was happening at a time when you were visiting some of the poorest parts of the world. So when you came back here, the place had just gone a bananas in terms of the economy, but also it had gone completely digital. And I know you've got some very strong views on that um, I've read up quite a bit Sean now uh, so I'm not coming from an uninformed uh, oh, opinion on this I, yeah. I've read quite a few books on the the effect that the digital technology is having on the world and uh, as I said you know if you read that stuff it will make you very pessimistic and then I kind of moved beyond pessimism where I, I became I kind of gave up and I became kind of more of a uh, a miserablest uh, when I just <laughs> thought everything is going uh, to, to hell in a handcart 
And I decided now I've settled on a, a place where I am and I'm now, I, I think humanity, I'm now a declinist. I, I just think humanity is in a period of decline. And uh, you know, anecdotally, how would you know if humanity is in decline? Well, if you see women walking to the shops in their pajamas, you know, we have a, <laughs> we've a problem. If you see people whose teeth are unnaturally white, we know we have a problem. If you see people with the head Botoxed off them uh, and shiny, we know humanity is in decline. And that's just anecdotally, but scientifically, uh, and I have to thank the US for this, they're great in doing tracking research over the generations. They have noticed that the, the standard of uh, if you, the standard of IQ among young people uh, is in decline. They have said that the standard of general knowledge or the level of general knowledge is in decline. Paranoia is up. The amount of friends people have in the States, they track that and they say the amount of genuine friends that people can call on an emergency is in decline. In the UK, for the first time ever, the biggest demographic living alone is the 25 to 44-year-old. Whereas before, it used to be the old person living yeah. alone. Now it's the young, healthy guy or woman living alone. And that, that, that is a big problem. There's a decline in reading, decline in newspapers, the rise of outrage. If, if, someone doesn't, you know, if someone doesn't like an opinion, they're outraged and they're disgusted because you have a different opinion rather than you know, accepting. Yeah, uh, uh, debating. Debating. Also, which I think is which is terrible, the rise of slavery. Uh, there's more people, according to the UN, in in, sla- in slavery than there was when in the height of it back in, in, in the 1840s. That's why I, I. How do you define slavery in that? Well, I, I think, in fairness, you know, uh, the guys who have slaves and say I don't own them, uh, but they do. They, they're in in labour that they can't get out of. Yeah. You know, factories and, in China. Prostitution, factories, factories in China, people working in mines uh, to make our Apple phones, to get the chemicals across, uh, to make our Apple phones and, and things like that. So You spoke to me before we, we came on about this creativity crisis as well, which uh, I have a lot of sympathy with that. Uh, in, in the US, they used to give a biro to a kid, a 14-year-old boy, and they'd say to him, you know, you know list out 20 things you can do with that biro. And um, people would say, well, you could use it to um, stab your friend in the eye. You could use it to write. You could use it to, you know, give it a mouse, use it as a mouse to use it, you know, for, for exercise or whatever. Whereas <laughs> now, they're finding that kids just can't make a connection, can't make a, a, a mental abstract. connection, an abstract connection. Yeah. And they've noticed it in literature. Charles Dickens wrote about young kids growing up in London or James Joyce wrote, wrote about a Jewish guy wa- uh, wandering around Dublin mm. uh, Harper Lee about a black guy being convicted wrongly convicted or whatever but a, a lot of the writing now for the new generation they just write about themselves you know yeah. I was in this situation and they write about now they can't make a conceptual leap they just find it Interesting. Uh, you know, tricky it's it, well, apart from being less creative, they're also kind of less coping skills. There was a there, there was an article in the one of the main papers saying that universities in Ireland, when they get their students who are over eighteen are coming to them, if their student is in a, in, in in difficulty, the mammy rings up the lecturer or the mammy rings up the provost, and they've never had that before. Yeah. And the, the the lecturer says, "I can't talk to you about your son. He's over eighteen. There's a there's a whole issue of data protection here. Yeah, He's yeah. an adult." Yeah. I said, "Oh well, listen, Tommy didn't do too well in his exam. What's going on?" And he says, "That never happened. Yeah. You know, a small generation ago, if you had a Barney or if you had a row with your lecturer, you sorted it out." And there's a crisis in accommodation. And the Irish Times newspaper ran a series of talking to students about how hard it is to get accommodation. Yeah. 
but they were interviewing their mammies yeah. and, and, and it was unbelievable I've yeah. never seen this so the mammy is there with a big beefy six foot four student standing beside her and the mammy saying we saw 15 flats and four apartments and we drove up I drove them up from Carlo and I gave them you know it's kind of molly coddling molly coddling making the child kind of an infant and governments are like that with the people as well well correct one of the interesting things what I I thought the lack of creativity and the lack of you know young people able to stand on stand on their own two feet happened in a terrible tragedy in Korea in 2014 there was these secondary school or high school students which were old enough to be in an army their boat was sinking the now the Tanoi announcement was saying, "Stay where you are," but they very obviously the boats were singing. None of them; they all stayed where they were. None of them says, "I'm out of here. Let's yeah. go on deck." They did. They just sat there texting their mums and dads. Mum and dad, the boat is sinking. What should I do? Yeah. The dad said, "Get out as fast as possible." Yeah. They replied, but the man on the voice is oh, saying, dear. "We should stay where we are." Yeah. Dad says, "Get out of the boat." Yeah. But in a crisis, rather than having the force. You know, they actually went counter to their instincts. If I were, if I was in a sinking ship, I'd be first off it. But they stayed where they are, texting their p- parents, yeah. and that's that led to. But you know, there's a there's there's a, there's a yin and yang to this. There's there's loneliness, but we're more connected than ever. There's lack of creativity, but we have more ways to express creativity. This podcast I could not have done twenty years ago. I'm now working off top of the range machinery that costs less than a thousand dollars. I can edit it myself on a computer. Where is it that we're dropping? Because we have more tools to express creativity. We have more access. You know, when I write, if I want to find out what crop was being planted in Cork in 1631 when the sack of Baltimore happened, that could have taken me weeks to find in the 80s. I can find it within seconds now. So where is the leg of the stool missing? Perhaps uh, psychologically we're saying, because I know what's there, I don't have to learn it. Yes. Why should I need to know what the longest river in the world is when I can look it up? Yeah, I've had that. And then I say, well, do you know what Amazon is? And say, yes, it's a shop that you can buy some books, you know. <laughs> so I'm not going to read. People used to be embarrassed by being, being ignorant. Now it's, oh, I'm hopeless at maths or I don't know anything. You know, mm. so, so, so the clown who does, doesn't know uh, what the capital of France is, is, isn't, you know, looked upon as being a moron because the, the no one's embarrassed a, 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 about it. How does your your self-titled declinist moniker play when you start thinking about your two kids? If you looked at the kind of the aerial footprint of where an average 12-year-old kid used to go in Dublin or in the States 20 years ago, if you like, their range, their territory... Yeah, their has, habitat. Their habitat yeah. has shrunk mm. by 97%. Now, it's shrunk for no particular reason. You know, well, Parents are afraid of... of their kids being abducted or Correct. yeah, and possibly un- unnecessary. Unnecessary. Well, that's the thing because it, it has never happened in Ireland. You know, in places like you know Delhi, you know, twenty kids, go, street kids go missing a day. Uh, I think the last one in Europe that we remember was Maddie McCann, you know, about yeah. five years ago, yeah. and it was, it was all the talk. But it yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, we are our stories. We are the events that happened to us when we were kids, when we were growing up, and all the rest, and the good and the bad that goes on with that. I just don't see my kids having any stories to tell of they were chased down the road by the mad neighbour yeah. or they jumped over the wall to get some apples and then yeah. they hid and that they are gone. You know, yeah. uh, we were walking through the wood and we found a dead fox and we decided yeah. to bring poke it to it. school. Poke it, poke it with a stick. And maggots came out. Uh, yeah, yeah. Th- they just don't happen. Uh, are, they, are they living avataristic worlds then in their 
iPads are yeah there? well look I, I keep my kids I, I'm like uh, Steve Jobs of Apple I keep my kids away from all of that stuff yeah. but I just think younger people because nothing ha- nothing happens to them uh, because they're very safe they're in a you see a group of guys you know at 14 or 15 oh look they're watching a YouTube of a guy falling off a rally chopper bike and they think that's hilarious and yeah. their events are happening on screen but, yeah. uh, but uh, and young people can be very boring I, I, I meet some of them you know, go for a beer with any guy around 23 he doesn't have a lot to say for himself you know what lessons have you had to give your younger self starting out today when you were in Dunn stores or working in a shopping centre back in the day what would you say to yourself looking back well I think one of what one of the big things, and I, I always try and encourage my own kids, is don't get disconnected from nature. You know, um, like Sean, I probably you probably like me grew up in a very drafty cold house, so you knew when it was winter. Uh, you probably went swimming in the sea, and you knew a little bit about the seasons. And uh, now, you know, every house has been warm. Most houses have been warm and cozy. I'm talking about, you know, obviously there's huge poverty out there, but in general, there's a huge disconnect with nature. I remember I was, I was on holidays in Wexford, and I caught a grasshopper. And I was showing it to my, my kids because not too many of them are around in Ireland, unfortunately. Like, it's like a little cricket uh, animal, insect. An older boy looked at it and I showed it to him. Uh, he was just passing by and he said, Oh, where'd you get that lizard? <laughs> and I said, Well, it's not a lizard. Uh, I said, It's a grasshopper. And he said, Oh, it's disgusting. And he shouted at his mother, Ma, this guy, I think he's got a. He said it's a grasshopper. And she said, Tell him to Evan throw it away. That's disgusting. You know, and there's such a huge <laughs> disconnect of young people. And especially when we come from an agricultural society. And I, I can see also that's why a lot of people, immigrants who travel out of Ireland, want, want to come back and bring their kids up in Ireland if they're from the country, because there's a lot to be said for, said for that. Now, I live in the city. But I just think it's very important, even in, in a city, that you just don't get disconnected from nature. But it means hard work because it means me taking the kids to places to for the beach, for yeah. the forest walk. Not them while going, they roll their eyes. While they roll their eyes, but not them going off and doing it themselves. Yeah. You know, I have to poke the fox in the eye with a stick. You know, and they're saying, "Dad, put away the stick. You're mad." You know, um, <laughs> kids today. Eh? Kids today. So. Would you have, would you say travel? Would you have said to yourself travel earlier? Yeah, traveler. Well, I no because here's the thing: when I was traveling, I was kind of the older sage, you know. Yeah. And there was pockets of students from the UK, which are gap year students, which I think yeah. is when you leave In school Australia. before, and they weren't impressed by anything. Yeah. You know, they were giving out about uh, oh the internet cafe, hot hotmail's too slow down there, or. What do you mean, you, you know, in India, what do you mean you don't sell, Heine, sell Heineken beer? Uh, so they, you know, I, I was in awe of everything. You know, go to the Taj Mahal, they took a Amazing. photograph and they kind of said, all right, where can you get a donut? It's wasted on you. My, my favourite, uh, play we'll probably finish it on this, my favourite, uh, people ask me often where the, what was the best thing I saw in my travels and actually the Taj Mahal is probably it. And again, it plays to story. Because you can go to the uh, temples in Cambodia, and they're from eight, nine, one thousand years ago, uh, the eight, nine hundreds. They don't really know what they're for, but the Taj Mahal has got a story. You know, in sixteen thirty-one, the guy died, his wife was beautiful, and the thing that struck me there was the famous poet, Indian poet Rabin Tagore, uh, tried to encapsulate the Taj Mahal in a sentence, and he called it a uh, an immortal, resplendent teardrop on the cheek of time very good I think that's a good place to finish 
uh, with an Indian poet and uh, one of Ireland's uh, poets, or if not poet, then a man who still believes in trying to make a difference with his point of view. One of the things that you uncovered for me anyway today, John, was just the fact that we don't even have these debates. Uh, whether people agree with you or not, uh, there's clearly something happening that is going unchecked and uh, more people, in my view, need to uh, stand up and, and at least have the argument. So thank you very much for coming, John, and um, we'll catch you next time. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you.